What is up, Smash Squad? Welcome back to this week's episode. I'm your host, Ashley Randall, and this is Smash Talk. Oh, well, the record button was pressed a long time ago before I started talking. Um, Not quite sure exactly where to start with this, guys. Definitely an episode... I don't know if I ever thought that I would share and a story that I know I have minimally, minimally shared. But in the last two weeks, I have had three very, very poignant instances where somebody has reached out to me um, and said that the story that I shared on Instagram of the toxic, abusive relationship that I was in resonated with them, whether they were in one currently, had been in one, or knew somebody who was in one. And while I'll be honest with you guys, I am not ready to talk about what actually happened in that relationship. That is something that I don't know if I will ever share um, here because many reasons. And, you know, one of those reasons being that it's a very private time and it's something that I don't really talk about with anybody. Um, And I guess in my mind, like the intricate details of the things that happened, you know, between he and I maybe aren't as important as the aftermath. And I truly believe that, you know, what did or didn't happen um, to me the trauma, the pain, the whatever that I went through, I don't know if that really matters. Not that it doesn't matter. I take that back. I don't know if it needs to be shared. That's not the point. The point is, I think it's extremely important to enlighten uh, people, women and people, uh, on what I went through in the aftermath of that and what that experience was like. So, If you aren't sure what I'm talking about, if you are just tuning in and this is your first episode, well, you might want to hold on because it's going to be a lot. So trigger warning for sure for anybody who has been in an abusive or toxic relationship, this is definitely a trigger warning for you. And if you want to learn a little bit more, you can definitely check out my Instagram. I have um, a post up there where I share a picture of my mugshot and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. So starting things off let's see where i don't even you know know where to begin um so so bear with me guys you know as we kind of navigate this together but it's a story that a lot of you have asked to hear and again i think a story that would provide a lot of insight as to what exactly happened and went down in that uh, in that time period so i was in a you know abusive toxic relationship and i had finally gotten to the point where i was able to leave which you know is a tremendous feat for anyone who knows anyone who's been in there or anyone who has been in one themselves. It is a tremendous feat. It is extremely scary. You have no idea what their future looks like. This person has basically kind of brainwashed you and you really truly believe that they are the only option uh, and life with them is the only option. You've isolated a lot of people from your life. All of those things that we've covered in other episodes. But I finally decided to file a restraining order and I went down to the station. I had never done that before. I had no idea what that looked like, how you do that. Uh, if I would even qualify for one, I was like, I don't know, like I I have no idea. 
Uh, but what led to that is I had gotten, I had left this person and I was actually at somebody else's house. And the fact that they had found where I was at this person's house in the middle of the night and they had slashed my tires. They had slashed two tires on my car. And in the morning when I left to go to work, I'm like, that's really weird. What happened? Okay. I then realized I have two tires that have been slashed, took it to the uh, tire place. And the guy was like, yeah, this isn't like you ran over something. This isn't like that. He showed me very clearly in my tire that I had two very distinct slash marks and so deep in fact that it cut through into, I guess there's like a, not to sound stupid, but there's a, like a tube, I guess on the inside, whatever, something he's like this, like cut through all the way to that. Not just like, Oh, a nail or something. No, this was a very intentional slash and something that couldn't be repaired. I had to get two new tires. So that was another reason that he was like, yeah, this isn't just like a whoopsie thing. This is what sparked the conversation of needing to go file for a restraining order. I have never done that. Again, I was very overwhelmed. It's also very scary. You're in this place and you're like, I don't know, like this person just found me. Like, what am I going to do? What kind of retaliating are they going to do? They know where I live, all of this stuff. I go down to the police station and figure out how to do this. That took a little bit of a process and I get to the restraining order, file the restraining order. Okay. Um, you know, they, some time went by and I, I apologize if some of this is a little vague. There's a good bit of this, quite frankly, that I have probably blocked out of my mind. And it's interesting because this period of my life, there's no photos. There's no photos from this time period. There's no videos. I don't even really know what my Instagram presence looked like then, but I definitely, whatever I was doing was a complete lie. It was definitely a fake facade, happy fitness life. So it is hard for me sometimes because I think we live in such an age where everything is recorded, everything is captured. And when you don't have that, it's kind of hard to jog your memory. You're like, what did that look like? What did that feel like? So I don't have any, you know, pictures or documentation of, of what this chapter of my life was like. So sometimes it is really hard to close my eyes and visualize that. Um, in any case, I get my restraining order and then I get a notice that he is filing a retaliation restraining order, (laughs) which if you think about it, it's a little ridiculous because what I'm saying is in my restraining order is you can't come near me. So now you, which means neither of us can come near each other. And so now he wants to file one back. So I'm like, I don't care. File one back. If I can't come near you all the better, like you still can't come near me. doesn't matter who has the restraining order. We can't be near each other. I just don't want you to come near me. So that was, you know, the tip of the iceberg in him not wanting to let any of this go. And I had to go to court and had to see him there in court, you know, to get that restraining order, which was, again, nerve wracking. I was shaking. I was nervous. I was by myself. Nobody could go with me. I don't even know if I told anybody about it. Um, And, you know, I had to go in there and stand in court and be with a bunch of other people and wait for your name to be called and tell why I need a restraining order. And I guess why he needed a restraining order, you know, this awkward mingling in the hallway. Like it was just so fucking awkward. And I get my restraining order and I'm like, okay, cool. I got my restraining order. You got your restraining order. Peace out, motherfucker. Like, I don't want to see you. I don't want to deal with you. This is fine. This is over. Goodbye. Um, I think I'm, you know, I think my life is getting back on track, if you will. And it has been a couple months 
and I, you know, I'm driving down San Diego. I'm, I'm driving down this one particular road. And this is just pay your motherfucking car insurance. I mean, uh, your registration. That's all I have to say. Pay your registration. Do not drive around with expired tags. I stop, I'm at a stoplight and there's a cop next to me. And I have my dog in the car, her head's out the window. He's looking at her, he's smiling. She's looking at him. I'm like, oh, look at, we're having this moment. Like he likes my dog. Okay, that's nice. Well, as I guess I left such a lasting impression <laughs> or my dog left such a lasting impression that as I pulled away, this cop noticed that I had expired registration tags. And we're talking like one month. And in seeing that I had expired tags, he also decided to run my license plate. When he ran my license plate, again, I'm finding this out after the fact. When he ran my license plate, I is like, doot, 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 bling, bling, bling. He comes to find out, oh, this cute little girl in her cute little car with her cute little Rottweiler, she has a warrant out for her arrest. She needs to be gotten. So I, again, none the wiser, I'm driving home, I go inside, um, I think I actually had to go take my dog to the vet or something. So I go inside and I think I was like changing clothes or something, it's a Friday afternoon, and I, there's a knock at my door and I'm like, that's weird, like who could I be, who could be knocking at my door? And I live like in, in you know, in San Diego, there's like the small beach houses. So I'm like living like in the back, in this alley, like you're not just knocking on my door, like selling shit, you know, no Girl Scouts like, hello, no, no, no. So he, and I get a knock on the door and I open the door with Carly right by my side and she's going crazy. She's barking and I open the door and I see a sheriff at my door and I'm like, hello. He's like, are you Ashley Randall? I'm like, yes. He's like, we have a warrant for your arrest. And I swear to God, this happened all in a matter of milliseconds. Like by the, the, he's barely getting these words out of his mouth by the time that they're basically coming into my house at the same exact time I'm saying like, okay, you have to hold on. Like you can't come in here. My dog will actually attack you. Like she will attack you. So I have to ask them like, can I please close a door and put the dog in my bedroom? Surprisingly, they said yes. Cause they were not fucking around. I go in my room. I put Carly in the, in the room really quick. By the time I come back out and I live in a small place, by the time I close the door and I'm turning around to come back into the living room, they're in my house. There is three sheriffs in my living room. I'm like, oh my gosh, my heart is racing. I'm freaking out. I don't understand what's going on. They're like, we have a warrant for your arrest. We need to take you in. Like basically like you're under arrest, like turn around, put your hands behind your back. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what the fuck is happening? And so I, you know, I asked him, I'm like, can I please call somebody? Like my dog is here. Like no one, he, no one is here. No one lives here. Like no one's going to know to check on her. Like no one knows that this is happening. I'm, I'm freaking out. And they're like, no, you can't call anybody. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. So they take me outside. I now see that there's two more of them waiting outside in the alley. So that's a total of five, three of them that came in my house, two of them that were waiting in the alley. And we're talking sheriffs. This isn't just like, you know, your standard cop. Not that I don't think it really makes that much of a difference, but I'm terrified. I am completely alone. I have no idea what's going on. They're not the most welcoming of people. They're not just like, oh yeah, like let me explain to you what's going on, sweetheart. Have a seat. They're like, get the fuck outside your house. Put these handcuffs on. We're going to frisk you and make sure you don't have any weapons on you and you're getting in the back of this cop car. And I'm totally caught off guard, like totally caught off guard. So 
I get in the car. They, you know, put the handcuffs on me. They put me in the back of the cop car. It's me and a male sheriff now driving to, they had a female frisk me. There was a male now driving me to the jail. I'm not an idiot. It's three o'clock, four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I know I'm not going to see a judge. Like, I'm fucked. (laughs) And I asked him, I said, you know, what's going on? And he said, we don't know all the details. All we are told is that there's a warrant out for your arrest, which means a judge wants to see you. And our job is to find you and bring you to the judge. And I'm thinking, yeah, buddy, it's four o'clock on a Friday. I'm not going to see a judge. Like I'm going to have to pay my bail or I'm going to be in here till Monday. So as we're driving, I'm trying to ask him some questions. Again, I'm like blacked out, just terrified, freaking out, but also like this insane calm. Like I'm sitting in the back of the seat, like so fucking uncomfortable. Like my hands are grinding into these handcuffs behind my back in this plastic seat and I'm just sweating and I'm thinking like, what the fuck is happening? Like, what am I going to do? How much money is this going to cost me? What is happening? And I'm trying to get some information out of him. He can't give me a whole lot because he doesn't know a whole lot, you know, no harm to him. He's like, I don't know a whole lot. Now, whether that's the truth or not, I don't know. I get there. They take me to an all women's jail and they proceed to book me. And this is like no joke booking. This isn't like, oh, ha ha, like you're in the drunk tank booking. This is like, go in this room. You will have a strip search. You will have a chest x-ray to make sure that you don't have any airborne or like lung illness that you're bringing into general population. If you can't get out, you will have your eyes examined again to make sure that you don't have anything contagious that you could be spreading in general pop. Um, And you are going to jail if you do not post bail. So... They do all that. They take my fingerprints. They take my mugshot, which again is like the most surreal, out of body experience. But yet, I've talked about this with some other people. Like, we see it so many times repeated on TV and movies. You go to jail, you get booked, they take your picture, they roll your fingers, you do the fingerprints. Like, it felt so natural in a way. Like, I've seen this play out. But yet I had to keep reminding myself that this is me. This is not a movie. This is not a show. This is 100% happening to me. And that was very, very surreal. Very surreal. Before they took me in the actual back, one of the, the, you know, they take all your stuff. They take all your possessions. They put it in a Ziploc bag. When the guy is taking my wallet, I mean my phone, he gives me a phone number. He, where he goes, I'm sorry, he goes in my phone and he is, gets, lets me write, or he writes down for me a phone number of somebody that I can call. I, you know, I specify who I'd like to call. He finds that person's name. He writes down their phone number. He slips it to me and I take it into the holding cell. Because otherwise, the only number, unless you have someone's phone number memorized, the only number you're calling from jail is a bail bondsman or a number that you have memorized. And I didn't have any numbers memorized. So the only person that I could call was a bail bondsman. If you haven't been to jail, the way that works is you can call a bail bondsman. They can come down to the jail. You can release your property to them. They can go into your phone and then they can call somebody for you. Okay. That's how that works. Here's the thing. 
bail bondsmen, they're not the most proactive people. They're not just jumping at the bit to like fly down to jail and like do you a little favor. Like, oh, little lady, I ain't got nothing to do. Let me, no, 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 no. They're like, you want money? We have it. And you want to get out of jail? Here's what you're going to do. Like you're kind of working for them. They're not really working for you. So he writes the phone number down. They put me in there and I'm like, what? the fuck? So I call the number. I explain to the person as quickly as I can what has happened. I say, I need you to listen. This is very serious. I'm in jail. This is not a joke. I need you to go to my house. I need you to get Carly. I need you to get her safe. I need you to take care of her. And I need you to basically be available and be here when I call and when I have more information, please. So I am in jail and I start calling some bail bonds and I get a hold of a couple and they explain to me that my bail is $20,000. So I am being held on two felonies. I'm sorry, three felonies. I'm being held on three felony counts. So my bail is $20,000. So that is the option that I have to pay or I can stay in jail till Monday. (laughs) and wait for the judge. And I'm like, um, I'm not waiting in jail till Monday. This is fucking terrifying. I'm so scared. I don't want to be here. So I start the process of needing a bail bondsman, you know, getting going down that road, which I think cost me $2,500. So you, you got to just cough that money up right away. Otherwise, again, you stay in there. And again, when I say cough that money up, like it's not coming right up. Like again, no one's just like, oh, swipe, swipe your credit card. You're out. This is like an 18 to 20 hour process. Nobody is working quickly. Nobody. I don't care if the jail's busy, if the jail's empty. They nobody in there rushing around. Okay. They got to dot a shit ton of I's and they got to cross a lot of T's. So (laughs) they are doing paperwork on paperwork and people are taking their sweet time. They don't care how cold you are, how hungry you are, anything. At one point, I get notified that I can go to this booth because a sheriff or someone wants to talk to me. I'm sure he has a name, but like a proper name, like a title. There you go. Uh, They take me over here. They explain to me, hi, we'd like to explain to you what's going on and why you are here. They say, do you know Mr. So-and-so? I say, yes. They're like, okay. Because at this point, you have to remember, I don't know. I still don't know what's going on. I still don't understand why I'm here. No one has explained anything to me other than I have felonies. They say, do you know Mr. So-and-so? I say, yes. They say, okay, well, it looks like you have three felony charges put on you. They list the felonies, assault with a deadly weapon, assault with bodily harm, and corporal injury, which is assault to your head. And they say, it looks like there was charges filed here and that you've had a restraining order out for you for two months, two months, two fucking months. I've been driving around, not with expired tags, but just two months driving around, living my life. Keep in mind, I have a restraining order from this person. Okay. I was granted a restraining order from a judge in family court to protect me from this person. And somehow they were able to go and file a police report that said I assaulted them so badly that they put three felonies on me, never once spoke to me, never once interviewed me and put a warrant out for my arrest and believed this man. 
so now I am okay. So what does that mean? That the guy was like, it means this is pretty serious. You're going to have to post bail and you're going to have to get a lawyer and go see a judge. I'm like, okay. So we've gotten out of jail. I finally post bail. Uh, I'm feeling disgusted. I'm in such shambles. Oh, wow. I, okay. I just remembered this part. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. (laughs) This happened on the eve of my mom's birthday. So then this is a Friday that Saturday, I was supposed to get in the car and drive to Newport to meet my mom halfway for lunch. Okay. I probably got home from jail around three or four in the morning and I needed to get on my way to meet my mom. I think like around eight. Okay. I can't tell my mom what just happened. I can't cancel on her. Today's her birthday. Like she doesn't even hardly know anything about this relationship, how terrible it was. So I go home. I am, I can't even paint you the picture. I wish I could see it. It would probably break my heart, honestly. But like I was a shell of a person. I got into my house. I hugged my dog. I cried and cried and cried. I got into the shower and I just stood there and I just could not get any cleaner. I felt so disgusting. I felt so filthy. I was exhausted. I felt so ashamed. I felt so embarrassed. And then I crawled into bed and I slept for a few hours and I got up and I drove to Newport and I put on the smiliest of happiest of faces that I had done so many times before with so many other people that didn't know. And I had lunch with my mom and it was everything I could do to not tell her that mom, I'm in some real serious shit. I was just in jail last night. This is really bad. This is getting out of control. I don't know what to do. I need help. I couldn't tell her. I was too embarrassed, too embarrassed. So fast forward to a couple weeks when I finally have my court date and I go to court and they explain to me what's going on. They explain to me the three counts. They explain to me the severity of it. They explain to me what will happen if I am found guilty. And they tell me that I can take a public defender or they explain that I can uh, hire an outside lawyer. Again, I'm by myself. There's no one here. There's no like support team. There's no one understanding what to do. This is like, I'm keeping this a secret. I I just, I had to do this alone. I didn't, I didn't know anybody else. And I was terrified to need somebody. And I was terrified that if I needed that person and they just couldn't take it anymore and they left me in the middle of this, that I would crumble. So I decided I have to go into this battle alone. I cannot do this thinking that I have somebody by my side. And if that person leaves me, I don't know what I'll do. So I meet with my public defender and there's a whole story around that. And I I don't know if I will share that here because it's extremely personal what ends up happening. Um, But I meet with my public defender and I get a really good feeling from him. I just feel like, okay, like he seems really passionate and he's like, good. And he's like, I want to do this. Like we can fight this. We can win. Like we have a conversation. I explain to him the things and he's like, yes. And then I start to get a little nervous and I'm like, this is my life. This is my life. Like this is not something to joke with. If I get found guilty of any of these charges, I will have a felony on my record for the rest of my life. Okay. And if I get found guilty on all three, I will have three felonies. That means so many things that I can't even comprehend, probably still to this day. That means I can't vote. 
That means I can't ever own a gun. That means that I can't ever get a job where they would run a background check. That means I can never volunteer at any volunteer place ever. I can't be a part of certain organizations because I would have a felony on my record. I could never have a job that I didn't work for myself. It would detrimentally be damaging for the rest of my life. Not to mention just the fact that I would be walked around walking around as a felon. And on top of being guilty or being charged guilty, I guess, I would have had to serve jail time. And the potential was, I think, one to three years, potential house arrest, potential off for good behavior. But the highest limit they had made very clear to me was I could potentially go for three years. Now, let's just pause for a second. I want you to think about that. Think about, think about going to jail for a fucking month, okay? This is no joke. Like, this is not a joke. This, this is like the scenario where you piss off the wrong person and they stab you. You sit on the wrong person's bed and they beat the shit out of you. You look at the wrong per Like, this is not the kind of thing that you're just like, okay, I'll just, you know, keep my head down. Like, you make a wrong move. You piss somebody off. You say the wrong thing. Like, you're going to get your ass beat. And we all know, like, what that can happen to. We all know how quickly that can go wrong, how detrimental that can be, how damaging physically, literally life-threatening. So I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Like, what am I going to do? So I meet with two other lawyers and I have consults with them. They both charge $10,000 minimum just to get started. That's just to get started. So that would mean I'd be about $13,000 in the hole for this. And I'll tell you what, I didn't have $13,000. And I also had a very weird feeling about both of these guys, these lawyers. They both felt like I was just another a number to them. It was just like, okay, yeah, like I'll take you on. Sure, no problem. This is how much it costs. I didn't feel like they really looked at the case. I didn't feel like they were really paying attention. I didn't feel like they really wanted to fight for me. I felt like they're going to get 10 grand, win or lose, they get their money. That's no sweat on their back. So I actually ended up calling my ex-fiance, who I trust to give me amazing advice and unfortunately extremely hard, tough love. And I explained to him what was going on. And he was like, 100% you need to hire a lawyer. This is your life. Do not fuck around with this with a public defender. 100% hire the lawyer, Ashley. This is very fucking serious. And I explained to him, I was like, I don't know. I just, I don't have a good feeling. So against some some advice and some suggestions from outside people. I went with my public defender and I chose him, Brody Burns, fucking amazing human being. I chose Brody Burns and he was my guy. And I said, okay, I, I want to do this with you. I want to do this. I need you to help me through this. So things kind of picked up pretty quickly after that. We got a court date. We got things moving along. The legal process is slow, but quick at the same time, meaning you have a date on the calendar and, you know, kind of nothing really happens. And then all of a sudden, as that date approaches, it's just like a wildfire. And I, again, I never knew this. So I'm back to work. I'm training clients in the gym that I work at. I'm not telling anybody what's going on. I'm literally just nothing. Nothing is happening. I'm not telling a single soul. 
And as the court dates approach, as we have meetings, as we have, you know, appointments, I'm going to them, I'm doing what I need to do, but I'm not, I'm not speaking up about anything. So I go to the court on the day before the trial and I'm so nervous. Oh, I'm sorry. I should rewind. So we go to the court and we talk to the judge and this is where they kind of can drop the charges. This is where we can see if we're going to continue like we, you know, both sides. And this is where I find out that the district attorney has actually picked up this case. Okay. So I didn't know any of this leading up to it. I thought that the guy that I was in the relationship with could still drop the charges and this could all go away. We find out, we find this out at the pre-trial where this is, I'm sure there's a name for it. I'm forgetting it where both sides can come together and we can kind of see what's going to happen. Well, it's not up to him anymore. It's the district attorney has picked this up and she wants to fucking run with it. She wants to make a case out of this. She wants to make an example out of this and she wants to take this thing all the way home. So it doesn't matter now what he says. She's got it in her hands and she wants to run with it. Now, I'm finding this out. I And I, I forgive me, I cannot remember when I found out this chunk of information, but I'm just going to tell you now. I found out at some point that San Diego particularly got in trouble for domestic violence cases where they did not prosecute the female and something happened. There was an incident. They didn't prosecute the female. They didn't take it serious. And I guess they sent the male back home to the female and the female ended up killing him. I don't know how that happened. If she shot him, stabbed him, I have no idea. And so San Diego got really hit hard with that, with not taking female aggression, domestic violence cases seriously. So here comes this perfect little tee up for this bitch of a DA. (laughs) Sorry, but she is a real C word. She sees a cute blonde girl that she probably thinks, oh, boom, this will be an easy tee up. I'll hit this. We'll get a slam dunk. We'll prosecute this case. It'll be great. It'll reinstill the faith and we'll be looking good in the eyes of everybody. So she's on a vengeance. Like she's not letting this shit go. So in this pre-trial, we decide, you know, are you going to plead guilty? They asked me like, basically, are you going to plead guilty? The judge is not very cool. He's like, you do understand that going to trial is not going to be good for you. Like basically they're all pressuring me, except for my lawyer. They're all pressuring me to take a plea deal. And again, I want to be very clear about this. A plea deal to any extent means I'm getting a felony. It means I'm getting a felony on my record. That is a 100% non-negotiable for these people. It doesn't matter one, doesn't matter three. They want to give me one. And I'm not going to lie to you. There was a moment where I thought about pleading guilty. There was a moment where I just thought, I'm fucking terrified. I don't know if I can get through this. I don't know what getting through this even looks like. I don't know. I'm terrified. Maybe I should just say I did it and we can just all go about our own business and like I'll just work for myself for the rest of my life and like everything will be fine. Keep in mind, this is like, how old am I? I'm 31 at this point, I think. 31. I don't know. I don't, I've never, I have no, I've never been in trouble like this before. I don't know. I'm just like, make this go away. That's all I want. Just go away. So I talked to my lawyer. He's like, no, I think we have a great chance. I think we have a really good case. I really, truly think we should take this to trial. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, please, like, 
I can't, like, I have to just trust you. It is probably one of the most intense moments of my life where I 100% just surrendered and trusted another human being who knew the situation better than me. And I just said, okay, I trust you to make this, to make this call. And I, I have no choice. I have put my faith in you up until this point, And I trust your judgment because you know a hell of a lot fucking better than I do. So we tell the judge, no, we want to go to trial. He's pissed. I'll tell you that because that costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of money and it costs a lot of time to go to a jury trial. So we get a date. We are scheduled out to pick a jury. I've never done this before, guys. Okay. Like I'm literally sitting in a room with when you go to jury duty, like that's me. I'm sitting there picking you. Again, it's such a surreal experience because I've seen this on Law and Order. I've watched the shows. I've seen the movies. Like you get the jokes. You get the people that don't want to do it. Like I get it. But this is me. This is my life. These people that we're interviewing, like we need to make sure that we're picking a really good fucking jury because they are going to be the ones who are going to hear this case. And again, I've never been so overwhelmed and yet so completely calm and numb at the same time where my lawyer, you know, explains like what we're looking for, what we're not looking for. You know, do we want men? Do we want women? Do we want men with daughters? Yes, we probably do want men with daughters because men with daughters are going to be more compassionate. They're going to see me as their daughter, as something bad. Do we want single men? No, we don't want single men because single men, you know, could envision themselves in this situation. Um, you know, do we want mothers? Like really like there's a lot that goes into jury selection so much and we only get to pick so many. And obviously the prosecutor gets to pick so many. So they obviously want the opposite. They want people that are going to look at me and be like, no, she's bad. She's guilty. She's this triggers something inside of them. So we spend a whole entire day And again, this is like months have gone by. I think this originally started in June. Yeah, this started in June uh, around my mom's birthday. And this, I think we're now in September, I want to say. So this was a process. So we're now in September and we have a trial date booked and we're like, okay, the jury has been selected. We're going to move forward. We're we're going to a a jury trial, however many days it takes. So he is not there at any of these things. I I want to be clear about that. It's just me, my lawyer and the district attorney. And in fact, there was actually some of the jurors that came back because they were so interested in this case. So jurors that didn't get selected were so invested in this that they actually came back to watch it. It makes me emotional just thinking about it. And There was even people from other parts of the public defender's office that were like part of my team that came back and that, you know, people from the office would come in and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is so overwhelming. Like, I don't know. So the first day of trial, I remember going home the night before and I'm like, what do I do? Like, I feel like there's supposed to be more prep. Like, I'm not ready. Like, I'm not ready for this. I don't know what we're doing tomorrow. And he was like, very clear. Like, I need you to wear like very conservative clothing. Please don't wear anything tight. Please don't wear anything that shows off your muscles. Like, I need you to wear like a loose fitting blouse. I need you to look very feminine, like very friendly. Like you cannot look strong or masculine or anything. Like we cannot have you look harsh or in any capacity, give the signal to these jurors that you're strong or you have muscles or like anything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, okay. So again, I went to work that morning. I trained two clients that morning and I went 
to the jury. I mean, I went to the courthouse. I don't know, nine o'clock, let's just say is when court starts. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I'm living a double life. Like I literally trained two clients. I changed my clothes. I drove downtown to the courthouse and I'm meeting my lawyer and we're going to trial. And I remember, I, I remember and don't remember all at the same time. Again, it's like the most surreal blackout and time is moving so incredibly slow. So we start the trial. I don't really remember much of the first day. It's a lot of logistics. He said, she said back and forth. Um, the guy is not there. He's not in the courtroom. Um, I have to go through all of this. And I, again, I don't, excuse me, I don't um, particularly remember every intricate detail of this for many reasons, I'm sure. <laughs> but the trial begins and I think it's maybe like on day three, I have to get on the stand. So we're in, you know, this is a, I'll give you guys a little heads up. It's a five day jury trial. So we're going through this for five fucking days all day. Okay. And I think it's day three. They put me on the stand and I am terrified. And yet again, I know I keep saying this, but it's like the most surreal familiar feeling like familiar is in like I've seen this play out and again in movies in shows and all of this and so you kind of know what to expect but you have to keep pausing and looking that like that's my name on the paper this is me this is the city of San Diego versus me this is me this isn't a tv show this is me I go up on stand and I remember being absolutely terrified and I truly do wish there was a video of this because I really think that it would be helpful in a way for me to watch this. I go on the stand and my lawyer asked me a bunch of questions, obviously trying to really paint the picture of how, I hate to say this word, but like how abused I was, how manipulated I was, how controlled I was, how terrible the situation was that I had been in that relationship, how I had been granted a restraining order. I had been given protection from this fucking man. And yet now somehow I'm on stand for hurting him. Well, the tables turned when the district attorney decided to come on on stand or uh, come to interrogate me. She ripped me apart. She ripped me apart. She went after me so viciously. And I was not only was I scared and terrified, but I remember thinking like female to female, you are ripping me apart and saying terrible things to me. I mean, she was like, well, if it was really so bad, why didn't you leave? It must not have been that bad. He must have taken care of you. You know, if you if you didn't like it, I don't understand why you didn't leave. Like, I mean, she was going in, which I really wish I could see the video. And so at one point she gets me going, she gets me going, she really fires me up. And she gets to the point where she's asking me this question. And she says to me, so you've never put your hands on him. You've never had to get out of the house. You've never had to, you know, she's, she's kind of making almost like she's siding with me, but at the moment, I don't know what's going on, but it feels like she's kind of siding with me. And, you know, I tell her I had one time I had to hide and lock myself in the bathroom and I had to run and I had to leave the house once and leave my dog there and like had to come back and to get her. And I, you know, I say like, you know, one time he had me pinned up against the garage outside and we're in the driveway and like he's in my face and screaming and yelling at me. And I said, and I put my hands on his chest and I pushed him away. And 
I'm thinking this is self-defense. This man, grown man, has me pinned up against a fucking wall and is screaming in my face. All he has to do is one punch of my head and it's smashed into a wall. And I'm saying, yeah, I had to push him off of me. Like it was that scary that I had to push him off. Well, little did I know right then and there, I just admitted to one of the charges, which is basic assault, which is basically placing your hands on another human being. That is the definition essentially of, that is the definition of basic assault, placing your hands on another human being. Okay. I just admitted to that. I, again, I'm not aware of this. So my lawyer, we take a break. My, the lawyer, uh, I'm sorry, the judge actually, actually asks, I come off the stand. The judge actually asks for the jury to be removed from the room. I don't know what's going on. They're also in the court. If you've never been in court, there's a lot of rules you have to follow. Like when the jury gets up, you have to stand up and like, you know, stand up out of your seat, sit back down. Like there's a lot of proper like respect that goes on in there. And there's not a lot of talking, obviously. And so I am like, okay, I don't understand what's going on. He escorts the jury out. He then proceeds to come back in. My lawyer, I'm pretty sure my lawyer asked if we could claim that as self-defense. The judge specifically says, I want you to know that when the jury comes back in here, I'm going to instruct them to not listen to that as a claim of self-defense. You are not allowed to use her touching him as a claim of self-defense. Okay, my lawyer's freaking out at this point. I don't know this, but he's freaking out because he knows, I don't, but he knows that I just admitted to one of those charges that I'm basically fucked. And now that we cannot instruct the jury to believe that that was self-defense, we we can't address it. My lawyer literally can't address anything. He just has to let that moment go and never bring it up again. The jury comes back in. The judge continues to proceed for the rest of the day and we move on. Okay. The next day, he the ex bad guy has to come on stand. He is now being put on the stand. He is completely falling apart on the stand. He's rambling. He's not making any sense. He's saying all kinds of crazy things. He's like, I just want the best for her. I've always wanted that for her. I want her to have a good relationship with her mom. Like he's not making any sense. My lawyer's feeling really good about this. He's like, okay, this is really good. Like we're feeling really good. Again, keep in mind, there's no pictures. There's no photographs. There's no evidence of anything that I've done to this man. There's nothing. So Somehow, somehow he filed some fucking police report and claimed that I hit him, threw my keys at him and assaulted him. No evidence of this. Nowhere is there evidence of this. Okay. And he's on stand 100% bold face lying. He's saying, yes, you know, she did this and then she did that. And then she threw her keys at me. And then she, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like he's lying. Meanwhile, my lawyer has instructed me like this day. He's like, do not make any facial expressions. Don't roll your eyes. Don't get mad. Like do nothing. Like the jury is watching your every freaking move. You cannot do anything that will spark them or give them a reason or like, oh, she's hot headed or she's this or she's that. Nothing, nothing. So I have to sit there while this man completely lies under oath and I can do nothing about it. And we cannot claim that I use self-defense to protect myself from him. Okay. So we wrap up. It is Thursday, 
we are done with the proceedings. We have had all of the stuff happen. Um, I, oh, I'm sorry. There was actually another witness that they called on stage for, um, on stand for, on his side. And this witness was currently facing charges of selling drugs. And I think there was one more thing. And my lawyer asked that that be acknowledged, that the jury be aware of that because it went against his credibility. Like, okay, this isn't the most credible source that he's out here already facing criminal charges and has a drug selling history and is currently like has a case against him. And again, the jury is not in the room at this point. And the judge says, no, you're not allowed to address that because that case is separate and you can't bring it in here. And my lawyer's like, I understand that. But the point is that we want the jury to know that this is not a trustworthy person. You have a non-trustworthy criminal up on stand that we're trying to get a corroborate a story with, and you're going to let him stand up here. Sure enough, the judge said, yeah, we are. So cool, 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 cool. Everything in my favor is going out the window. So we take a break and it is Thursday and the jury has left for the day. And my lawyer and I are talking in the hallway and he basically is preparing me to go to jail. He's like, I want you to know that because of what this judge has done, because of the hands that he has tied on my end, because of the things that he won't let be acknowledged, you admitted to something and you, we are not able to say that it was, um, that it was, a. Oh my gosh, what's the word? Oh man, that it was self-defense. So because we can't say that it's self-defense, the jury's just led to believe that, yes, she pushed him. She admitted to pushing him. So if she admitted to pushing him here, why would she not admit to, why would she not have been able to do it again is kind of the, the argument. I go home. It's Thursday. I'm terrified. Again, I've told no one. I go home and I make a list of people that will need to be notified. I make a list of people that I make a list of someone who will help my dog, who will call my mother and who will explain to her what has happened. I make a name and phone number of someone who will drive my dog to my mom. Um, I have a contact for the person who will notify my landlord who will pay my rent. Um, I have a name of someone who will notify all of my clients. Where did Ashley just go? Like, okay, this person will call them and let them know. I have a contact for the person who will let the gym owner know that Ashley will not be coming in. Um, I wrote a basically a Rolodex of like, hey, I would need to give it to my lawyer and have him take it because he explained to me that this isn't the kind of thing that you get to come back to the next day. This is the kind of thing where if you're found guilty, they take you right then and that's it. It is game over. You start going right then. So I'm terrified to say the least. I call my mom and I let her know that, hey, there are some things going on and this is, you know, getting a little out of control. And, you know, she's like, I thought this was no big deal. I didn't think you'd be going to jail. Well, I told her, you know, mom, things have taken a turn for the worst. So I go to bed. I don't even know how I slept. And it's Friday morning. Um, and I basically on, on, on waiting on jury wait, I am waiting for the call from my lawyer where you have about 30 minutes to get downtown when the jury has reached a, um, a decision. And I tell my friend Kathleen and I let her know that something is up. I kind of briefly explained to her what's going on. 
And she's like, Ashley, this is really serious. Like, if this happens, like, what are you going to do? Like, who, even your car, like, who's going to get your car? Like, anything. Like, you're just going to be there all by yourself. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to do. And bless her freaking heart, her husband, I, we got off the phone and her husband was like, you 100% have to go down there. Like, you cannot let her go through this by herself. Like, you have to be there for her. And... I didn't know she was coming. Um, and so I get the call from the lawyer and I, I think I had just let her know, like, Hey, I'm going downtown. I like text her or something. Uh, I get the call. They're like, okay, we have a decision. You have to come down. I'm like, Oh my God. So I change my clothes. I go down there really quick. And as I'm driving, it is again, the most out of body experience I could ever explain to you. I'm driving to a thing that I cannot wait to get the answer to, and yet would do anything to have more time, like anything to have more time and to not have to have this answer because I'm terrified of what the answer is going to be. So I want it to happen quickly. And yet I don't ever want it to happen. And I remember that feeling so clearly. I remember parking my car in the same place that I parked my car, you know, you got to pay for all this long-term parking. So I parked my car there and I remember walking down the street and I just remember thinking like, I've done this all week. And as it's like a scene from a movie, as I'm turning to go, as I'm turning to go into the courthouse, I hear this horn honk and I look to my side and I see Kathleen and she's there. And I want to cry so badly and I just think like you have to keep it together and I just waved at her and I went inside and I didn't know what else to do. I really did not know what else to do. And so, I mean, I had to go inside, but I just, I didn't know what to do. And so I had the sense of relief and the sense of embarrassment that she was there. Uh, I had a sense of not being alone and a sense of how will she find me? I don't know. And I remember going through the metal detectors and going up the escalator. And I'm like envisioning this as I'm telling you guys. And I have my eyes looking up. I can see my lawyer and the assistant up at the top of the escalator. And I I feel like I could paint this as perfectly as a scene from a movie. Like I step onto the escalator and it felt like the slowest and fastest escalator I've ever been on. It felt like it took me forever to get to the top to where he was waiting. And yet at the same time, it felt like it happened in a blink of an eye. It felt like before I knew it, I was up at the top and I just thought, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Like, I can't do this. I'm not ready for this. And I tried to keep my composure. Another thing about being in the courthouse is you never know who's watching. You know, you never know who's in the hallways. You never know who's watching. You you have to be very careful. You know, you never want to laugh too much or be mad or yell or, or, or be too, nothing. Like you're just, you never know who's out there. And so, you know, he's like, are you ready? And I'm like, I guess, I don't know. And he gives me a hug and I remember just being utterly terrified and so, so, so scared. And we go in 
And, you know, we go through all the proceedings, the judge, you know, the judge comes in, we stand up, we sit down, the jury comes in, we stand up, we sit down, we go all the things, they read all the things, they go over everything, they say my name a hundred times, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like, this is me, like, this is for me, this is not law and order, this is real. And finally, they, they come up and the jury, you know, is going to start to read the, the verdict, and I just remember, like, I'm terrified. I, all I want to hear is just not guilty. But the thing is, there's three of them. And just because you get off on one, there's still two more. And so they start, you know, they're like, we've reached a verdict, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, okay, here we go. And they just start, I'm looking straight ahead. I'm trying not to cry. And they read the first one, you know, they say not guilty. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, Oh, like the biggest sigh of relief. And then it's the second one. And they say, not guilty. And I'm like, oh. And then we come down to the third one. The one that I basically have already admitted to and yet couldn't claim self-defense on. The one that my lawyer is the most concerned about. And they read it and they say not guilty. And I just remember like, just like collapsing in my chair. And I just thought, oh my God, like finally, finally somebody believes me. Like finally, after all these months and everything that I've been through with this person and getting a restraining order and trying to get away from him and losing my job and all of these things, finally, somebody believes me, not just somebody, 12 people, 12 people that spent four days of their lives listening to this finally, finally believe me. This is it. Like it can't happen anymore. It can't, it, this, this is it. It has to be over. And my lawyer is like trying to hug me and he's like, okay, like just breathe, like have a sip of water, like just, you know, try to keep your composure. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and it's, and as quickly as it started, it's as quickly as it was over. They sign some papers, they stamp some stamps, they say not guilty. Boom. They say that the jury is allowed to interact with me if they choose to stay and they can ask questions or whatnot. And I give my lawyer a hug and I just start crying and I'm like, oh my God. And at the same time I'm crying, I'm just like, I'm so numb. Like I'm so numb that there's a part of me that's just like, I've been on autopilot and I just think, okay, okay next like we'll just leave and like uh, whatever and I remember we opened the doors and Kathleen was standing in the hallway and I gave her a big hug and yet still for some reason I'm trying to keep this immense composure it's like I'm trying to not fall apart when all I wanted to do was just fall to the ground and just ball my eyeballs out and yet I feel like I have to keep it together for all these people that are around me And one thing that was very, very, very interesting at the end is several jurors came up to my lawyer in the hallway and they asked, they they said genuinely, straight up, we were so curious why you didn't say that she was like touched him in self-defense. And my lawyer now was able to explain. He said to them, he said, we were instructed that we could not. The judge instructed us that we were not allowed to say that she was using self-defense. And so many of the jurors were like, we were so confused. Like we just heard her story. We heard, 
everything that she had been through. And we just couldn't understand why you didn't acknowledge that. Why you, you know, and he, you know, they explained it and they listened and he, they were like, wow, like that's crazy. One of the things, I will never forget this. One of the things that my lawyer said in his closing arguments on Thursday before we left for the verdict was he gave this whole scenario and I thought it was brilliant. And he said to the jury, you know, he said, have you ever, you know, left your house? It makes me emotional, like thinking about it. He said, have you ever left the house and gone to work and wondered all day if you left the coffee pot on? Ladies, like, have you ever gone, you know, left the house and wondered all day if you let your curling iron or your straightener on? Or men, have you ever wondered if you left the iron on from ironing your shirt that morning? Have you ever wondered all day? You're like, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. And he said, that is how you need to address this case. Unless you are positive without a shadow of a doubt that she 100% did this, unless you are 100% confident that you unplugged that straightener, that you turned off that coffee pot, you cannot find her guilty. You have to be positive without a shadow of a doubt, 100% confident. And I just remember thinking like, that's brilliant. How many people have all day you wonder, well, I don't know. Well, like this. Well, if you're wondering that about this case, then she can't be guilty. It has to be a not guilty verdict. And there was actually a juror that said that. There was a juror at the end that shared that, that he said, I wasn't sure that you didn't do it or that, but he said, I, I'm sorry. I think he said, I wasn't sure that you didn't do it, but I also wasn't sure that you did it. And he said, and so I, I had to say not guilty. He said, I, I just, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if you did it, but I also wasn't sure that you didn't do it. And I just thought, oh my God, like, just thank you. Thank you to those 12 people. Thank you to them for listening. Thank you for them for paying attention. Thank you to them for hearing me. And, you know, to any of you that are ever on a jury trial, I hope that you would take that serious. I hope that you realize that genuinely someone's life is in your hands. Take it serious. Listen to what's going on. Pay attention. Don't just be annoyed that you have to be there. Like that's someone's genuine life that is that is being put on trial and genuinely put in your hands. Oh, such a long episode. Goodness, guys. Thank you so much for hanging in there with me and listening. So that is exactly what happened. And that is how I got on trial for three felony charges. I don't know. I still to this day don't know how he got the police report. I do know that he had a client that was a cop. She's a female cop. And I would hope she would never do something like that to another female, but I don't know. What I do know is somehow a police report was filed no documents, no DNA, no proof, no talking to me, but somehow a police report was filed where this man claimed that I did things to him that somebody took so serious that they sent it all the way up to the district attorney, never spoke to me, never talked to me, never verified to see that I had gotten approved for a restraining order from this person that I had asked to be protected from this person who is claiming that I did these things to them. And yet now I somehow got put on a jury trial. I got put on the stand for three felony charges. I spent $3,000 on this, which I never got that money back. I suffered tons and tons of emotional damage from it. 
I remember that day when I went home, Kathleen said, she was like, well, do you like, what do you want to do? Like, do you? And I said, I just want to eat some food I haven't eaten. And I just want to go home and take a nap. And that is exactly what I did. I went and I ate some food and I went home and I took a nap. And it's like, I, I didn't want to ever talk about it again. I didn't want to think about it. I should have, I should have processed it. I should have done a lot of things. But at that time for the many months, I couldn't. For many, many months, I had given him so much of my life. I couldn't imagine giving him any more energy, effort, tears, anything. My lawyer even said to me later, I had to go down to his office and sign some papers. And he even said, you know, you can press charges against the city if you want. And I said, I, I, I don't want to. I, I can't. I don't want to see this man ever again. I'm the one who wanted the restraining order. Like I'm the one who doesn't ever want to deal with him ever again. And actually at the end of the, the uh, court trial that day, they reinstated my restraining order, which was amazing because during this whole process, it got er- erased and they reinstated my restraining order, um, which he promptly violated by calling me on the phone a few days later. But that's what happens when you deal with a crazy person. And I didn't, I would, you know, again, my lawyer's like, you can press charges for him violating the restraining order. I said, I don't want to, I don't want to, because I just want this person out of my life. So With all of that shared, very emotional story for me, but I hope that this is a reminder to people that you can go through crazy hard things. You've already probably been through something really, really hard. You have to keep fighting because there was a point, I will never lie to you, there was a point that I wanted to plead guilty, that I wanted it all to go away, that I didn't want to have to deal with it anymore, and I just wanted it to be over and that seemed like the quickest way to get it to be over but that really would have just stuck with me for the rest of my life he would have ruined a portion of my life for the rest of my life and that is something that in the moment I don't know if I was fully able to grasp I just wanted it to be done and I'm so glad that I didn't roll over I'm so glad I didn't stop I'm I'm so glad that I just kept fighting And I just kept showing up and no matter how numb I was, how overwhelmed I was, how out of body experience I was having, I just kept showing up for myself with whatever I had. And I had people around me that kept showing up for me, even when I don't think I was showing up. I will forever be grateful for that man, for that lawyer who stood up for me, who just as a man who said, like, I got you, like, I will protect you, I will walk through this fire with you, I will make sure that we get you to the other side. And he did. And I'm so incredibly grateful. So for everyone who has wondered how the mugshot came about, how all of this came, that is your story. Thank you guys so much. As always, if I can be a resource to anybody who is going through any type of crisis, abusive relationship, unsafe environment, please, please reach out to me. Please do not go through this alone. You don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to explain. You just have to say that you're ready and that you need the help and it will be there for you. And I will do everything in my power to help guide you and stand next to you. And I want to be a reminder that You can never judge a book by its cover. You never know what someone's going through. So please be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and thank you.